0: Uh, we're in a series called People Matter, and it comes from the scripture of uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and this is our memory verse for this series, so I want you to read it good and loud. Ready? Read. Therefore, of all baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Wow, y'all sound like some great Catholics. That was really good. I'm proud of you. Especially the Father, Son, Holy Spirit part. So there's two implications in this scripture before we get into today's message. Two implications. The first implication is this. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you walk with Jesus, you're a saved believer, you know the gospels, you know the teachings, his great commission is for you to make other disciples. We understand the implications. Does everybody understand that from this scripture? There's another group of people in this scripture that we don't see here, but it's, it's, it's implied, and that is this. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you should find someone to help make you a disciple of Jesus. Do we understand that there's two sets of people in the scripture, those that are already disciples and those that are not disciples? That's very important for today's lesson, and here's why. Before I tell you part three of what we're talking about today, I want to ask you a question for you to think about. The answer to this question is the title of the sermon, okay? What do you think, and don't answer out loud because you're probably going to get it wrong and I don't want you to feel stupid in front of everybody, but what do you think is the, I hate when preachers do that, when they ask a question and it's like, do you you think you know the answer and, and are they trying to say something else or trick you? I'm not trying to trick you, but I just want you to think. What do you think is the greatest influence in your entire universe, in your life? What do you think has influenced you more than anything else in the world? Let's think about it. I'm not asking what should influence you. I said, what has been the greatest influence in your life, scientifically and biblically? What for every believer, every non-believer, Muslim, Hindu, teenager, senior, no matter where you come from or what you are, what's going on, the greatest influence in your life is what we're going to talk about today. I wonder what you think it is. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but the greatest influence in your life are the friends who you choose to associate with, your relationships. Today in part three, we're going to talk about this, choose the right friends. Choose the right friends. Now, I'm going to spend 30 minutes proving this statement to you. There is no greater influence that you will ever have in your life than the people you choose to be in relationship with. This is why God wants our relationship with Him to be the most important relationship in our life so that He can be the greatest influence in our life. However, if God's relationship is not the most important relationship in your life, whoever is has the greatest influence in your life. The people that you choose to hang around and be around on a regular basis, the ones you choose to communicate with, the ones you choose to associate with, the ones you choose to go out to eat with, to talk to, to allow them to speak into your life, these people hold the greatest power in your future and in your life. If you want to know what your life is going to be like five years from now, just look at your friends. If you want to know why you've made a lot of the decisions that you made in your life up to this day, look at the friends you've had in the past. Proverbs 13, 20 says, if you walk with wise men, you'll become wise, but if you associate with fools, you'll be destroyed. Now, the definition of the word fool in the Bible is not a graduate of Socrates High School. It is not Forrest Gump. The definition of the word fool is someone who has no use for God or church or the local body. That's the definition of the word fool. Here's what this is saying. If you walk with successful people, you will become more successful. If you walk with people that have high levels of integrity, that's going to rub off on you. If you walk with people that love to give, love to serve other people, that's going to rub off on you as well. However, the other side of the pendulum is true. If you walk with people who are greedy, you will become more greedy. If you walk with people who like to gossip, you will become more of a gossip. If you walk with people who are lazy, that lazy spirit will rub off on you. There is no greater influence in your life than the people you've chosen to be friends with. Now, knowing this is true, and it is, and I'm going to continue to prove it to you, knowing it's true, here's my next statement, is this. Your future is dependent upon your friends right now. Your destiny, and whether or not you fulfill it, is dependent upon who you choose to hang around in this present time now. Um, I've told you the story about Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elisha was a farm boy. Everybody say farm boy. There's nothing wrong with being a farm boy. If you want to be a farmer, hang out with other farmers. You'll enjoy it. It'll rub off on you. You'll end up being a farmer. However, one day the great prophet Elijah was coming by, and Elisha saw the anointing that he had, the power, the miracles that he was doing, and something about him said, I want to be like that. But Elisha didn't stay a farm boy and just pray, God, I want to be really anointed and do great things for you. Now, the Bible says in 1 Kings 19.21 that he followed Elijah as his helper, his assistant, his right-hand man. Here's why he wanted some of those qualities to rub off on him. He wanted to be like that, to have that. And he knew he had to put himself in an environment where that potential and anointing could be released in his life. Finally, one day after several years of spending time with this man, in 2 Kings two nine, Elijah said, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Everybody say the word spirit. We're going to come back to that. Don't forget that. But here's what's interesting. I want you to see how his vision increased. I want you to see how his desire and his dreams got bigger. If you had asked Elisha before he met Elijah, What do you want in life? He would say, I want to own my own farm. My grandparents had a farm. My parents had a farm. I want a bigger farm than them. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But after spending time with this man of God, after allowing this man of God to disciple him and pour into him, now he's saying, I don't just want what he has. I want double. Double. He didn't say, I want double the strength physically. He didn't say, I want double the emotional joy. He said, I want double the spirit. We're going to come back to that in a second. It's very, very important. But I want you to see how his mind expanded, how his life grew, how his dreams got bigger simply by hanging around the right person. Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, and Harry Firestone were three of the most brilliant minds of their day but they didn't just hang around anybody. They didn't hang around people that blamed others and made excuses for why they weren't successful. They didn't hang around gossips or selfish people. They hung around each other, other dreamers, other visionaries. They all had summer homes right next to each other. They spent most of their summers together as a family. No wonder they accomplished so much. They hung out with other successful people that wanted to do great things. Here's my question to you. When you get the double portion of your friend's spirit, I didn't say if you get it, I said when you get the double portion of your friend's spirit, Will that cause you to be more in love with Jesus? Will that cause you to serve people with more of a selfless heart? Will that cause you to be a better giver in life? Will you be healthier? Will you be happier? Will you want to do more for the kingdom of God? Or when their spirit rubs off on you and brings double into your life, will you be twice as cranky? Will you be twice as depressed? Will you be twice as selfish? Will you be twice as greedy? When their spirit rubs off on you, and it will... What's it going to look like in your life? Harvard University did a survey and they asked 48,000 teenagers, what's the greatest influence in your life? And they wanted to find the root to it. In other words, here's what they said. Why did you buy the shoes you bought? Why do you wear the clothes you wear? Why did you take the job over here? Why did you spend your money on this? Why did you buy this kind of car? Why did you go to school for this? Why are you studying this? Why did you go to this party? Why do you hang out with this group over here? Why did you take this sport? Why do you watch this on TV? In other words, what's the root cause that has influenced you to make the decisions you've made in life? 48,000 teenagers and 87% said, my friends. Which is sad because it leaves 13% to things like God, my parents, <laughs> the internet, you know, movies, media. All of that was second to my friends. In Daniel 6 verse 3, it says Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. Everybody say spirit. Spirit. That's really important. We're going to come back to that again, but I want you to see something. Daniel was preferred above other people with great status and position titles because there was a certain spirit in him that was excellent. Do you know who Daniel's three best friends were in the Bible? Do you know who his best friends were? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three teenagers who refused to compromise. Three teenagers who refused to give in to temptation and bow down to the king's golden idol. They were best friends with Daniel, and the spirit rubbed off on him. And he became a better person because of those friends. Deuteronomy 34 9 says, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Everybody say spirit. spirit. Say it spirit. spirit. Everybody say spirit. There you go. Good job. Because Moses laid his hands on him. Moses was retiring, and so he wanted Joshua to take over. So he put his hands on his shoulders, prayed for him, and now a spirit that was in Moses made its way into Joshua's life. It was in Moses, and it made its way into Joshua's life. Here's what I want you to see. Now, I'm not trying to get Ghostbusters on you. I'm not trying to get, like, you know, weird. And if a slimer comes through the walls, then we're going to cast out demons. But I want you to listen to this, okay? spirits are transferable. They're transferable. Now, let me prove it to you in a way that maybe will help you receive this better. You and I, we are a three-part being. Three-part being. We are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in a body. You are a spirit. That's the most important thing. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I think, I want, I feel. I think, I want, I feel. That's your soul. It's your personality. And you live in a body. This body is an earth suit. You only need this body when you're on earth. As soon as this physical body dies, your spirit takes your soul either to heaven or hell. So your physical body, that's what you see, is your earth suit. When it's dead and gone, you're going to go to heaven, and we're going to know each other in heaven by our soul. Because you have a new body. Because people have said, is my body going to be when I was 30, when I was 25, when it was going to be when I was working out? You know, what's my body like? It's a new heavenly body. It's about your soul. That's how we're going to recognize Martin Luther King Jr., George Washington, Moses, Joshua, because of their personality, their soul. You are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. Now, can I transfer things to you physically? In other words, can I run up to you and slap you? And will that transfer something from my body to your body? Will you feel it if I slap you, yes or no? If you say no, we'll try it. You can come up on stage and we'll see what happens. Okay. Can I transfer things to your soul? In other words, can I do something that makes you angry? Can I show you, can I, can I, watch, can I make you watch a child dying and then you will cry and be sad? Can I tell you a joke and you'll laugh and be happy? Can the soul transfer things to each other? Yes. Now here's the important If our bodies can transfer and our souls can transfer, how much more powerful is it when we're around people and spirits can be transferred? Now, how would you like to know what it looks like in the spirit realm when it comes to the spirits that have attached themselves to you? Would you like to see, in other words, would you like to be able to see in the spirit realm just for a few seconds at the spirits that have attached themselves to you? Because I can show you what that looks like in the natural. Would you like to know what kind of spirits you have around you in your life right now? Just look at your friends. Just look at the people you've chosen to associate with on a regular basis. Because spirits are transferable. I heard a story about this little eaglet that was born and raised in a chicken coop. I mean, this eaglet, it balked like a chicken, it it pecked like a chicken, it ate like a chicken. That's all it ever knew was chicken, chicken, chicken. One day, this eaglet looked up in the sky, and it saw this huge, majestic eagle soaring way up in the clouds. I mean, this little eaglet was so impressed when he saw that something on the inside of him said, I was meant to do that. I was meant to soar among the clouds. And it looked around, but all it saw was chickens everywhere. So he decided he was gonna flap his wings as hard as he could to see what would happen. He did it with all of his might and he barely made it two or three inches off the ground. Man, his chicken buddies laughed as hard as they could. They said, what do you think you're doing? You're nothing but a chicken, just look around you. So this eaglet decided to do something very unusual. For the next several weeks, it got in the corner of the chicken coop all by itself and just looked up in the sky at the different eagles that would soar by hour after hour. This eaglet wanted the camaraderie of those other chickens. He wanted to have fun. He saw those other chicken buddies laughing and pecking and clucking all over the place, and he wanted to go hang out with them, but something inside of him knew that he wasn't meant for that. He was meant for more than that. So he was willing to get by himself in the corner of the chicken coop and just stare up at the sky. After several weeks of doing this, that chicken began to notice that its wings were a little bit broader than all the other chickens. It noticed that when it stretched it out, its wingspan went further than all the other chickens, and this time he flapped once and twice, and that third time, believe it or not, he raised up up out of that chicken coop and began to soar way up in the sky. Man, those chicken buddies were shocked. They looked up there like, oh my goodness. With every flap of that eagle's wings, it said out loud, I knew I was made to do this. I knew that I was an eagle. The point is this, we will never soar like an eagle if we're always clucking around with the chickens. You gotta learn to find you some Eagle buddies that you can hang out with. People that have spirits that you want to have in your life. People that are successful in areas that you want to be successful in. People that have a bigger passion for Jesus than you do. If you're the smartest one in your group, you need to find another group. If you're the most passionate for Jesus in your group, you need to find another group. It's okay to have people that want to be like you. That's fine. But you also have to continue to put yourself in an environment where you can grow, where you can spread your wings. I told you that spirits are transferable. Let me show you this. Spirits are attracted to each other. Psychologists call this the law of the group. What it means is then we naturally habitat, we naturally hang out with and communicate with people who we see ourselves like, people who are like us. We naturally gravitate towards people who are similar to us, who have similar qualities, who might look like us, maybe the same skin color, maybe from the same background, maybe the same beliefs. We naturally gravitate towards people like ourselves. Now, knowing that, it is not normal for you to find people that are better than you to hang out with and it's absolutely not normal for people that are better than you to come and want to hang out with you. That's why you have to be aggressive in choosing the right friends. Let me tell you a story that, that, that might help you with this. A few weeks ago, um, a, a friend of the family's came to see me and she was really upset and, and downhearted and she said, um said, John Paul, I just want to get married. I just want to find Mr. Wright. I want so bad to, to, to find the guy who, who is modest and who loves Jesus and serves in church and who doesn't just want me for my body and who will respect me. And she listed all these different things. And I said to her this, and it was very painful, but I said to her, I said, honey, unfortunately, Mr. Wright's not looking for you. Mr. Wright's looking for somebody that has those same qualities. According to your Facebook page, you're not very modest. Um, you don't serve in church anywhere. you attend every now and then, but you don't, you're not a member of a church. you don't serve the body of Christ. And you, you don't the qualities that you want in somebody, you don't possess those qualities, so that person isn't looking for you. She said, "Well, what do I do?" I said, "You need to find some girlfriends that are better than you that serve in church every Sunday." that love to give and respect and don't have pictures of themselves that aren't proper on on the internet and things of that nature. And then once you hang around friends like that, that'll rub off on you. Then the man that you're looking for will have the same qualities you have. let Let me say it like this. Choosing great godly friends doesn't come natural. It doesn't come natural. You gotta be aggressive. Spirits, they're attracted to each other. If you don't believe me, watch this. I can have a party with 500 people, and there's mingling going on, everybody's talking and hanging out. Out of the 500, if there were two people in that room that were both addicted to drugs, I promise you, <laughs> within two hours, somehow, those people would find each other. It happens. All oh, I've seen it a hundred times in my life. People who love to gossip, they don't go to those of you that don't Gossip. They go to other gossipers. Somehow a gossiping spirit always finds another gossiping spirit. Why? They're attracted to each other. Negative people always find negative people. If you've got someone that's always gossiping to you, could it be that you've put fuel on the fire? If you have someone in your life that's always negative, could it be that you just give in to that and do the same thing when they come around? Spirits are transferable and they're attracted to one another. Now, Proverbs 27, 17 says this, just as iron sharpens iron, friends are supposed to sharpen each other. Let me teach you something about this scripture. My voice is going out, I apologize. There are things that you and I believe that are untrue. For instance, we believe that the purpose of food is to simply taste good. That's why you and I order things that taste good. That's why we eat things we like to eat. The real purpose of food is to live and live healthy so you can live long on earth and fulfill your God-given destiny and bring more people to Jesus with a healthy body. But we don't believe that. What we really believe is, I want something that tastes good. That's what we think the purpose of food is. If you don't know the purpose of something, you'll abuse it. The purpose of friendship is not to find people you're attracted to, to find people that you like, and to find people that you have fun with. Those are things that you can apply to friendship, but that's not the purpose of friendship. You can find food that you like to eat that's enjoyable, that's healthy, so you can live longer. You can do that. But the purpose of food is to live healthy. The purpose of friendship is not to have fun and to laugh and to like each other. Even though that is part of it, it's not the purpose. The biblical purpose, what we just read, of friendship is to draw us closer to Jesus The purpose of friendship is to sharpen one another, not dull one another, or keep each other at the same. In other words, if you have people in your life that are pushing you closer to Jesus, whether you like them or not, or you're attracted to them or not, or you want to hang out with them or not, those are your real friends. Your real friends are the ones that love you enough to do whatever it takes to get you closer to Jesus. Why? Because they want you to go to heaven. They want you to fulfill your destiny. They want you to be happy on earth. They want you to honor God. That's why they're trying to get you closer to Jesus. Your friends are not the ones that tell you it's okay to live immorally. It's a, just drink it off, do some drugs. It'll be okay. You don't need to go to church. You don't have to serve other people, on and on. Those are not your friends. Whether you like them or not, they're not your definition of a friend. Whoever has gotten you closer to Jesus, that's your friend. In Mark chapter 2, there's a story about Jesus. Was, was, he was preaching in this huge um, room that was completely packed with people. The fire marshal would have gotten in trouble with Jesus, but it's okay because he gives fire insurance. Anyway, so the room was just packed with people, okay? There was a paralyzed man in that town. Everybody say a paralyzed man. Think about how awful it would be to be paralyzed. Awful, okay? This man had four real friends, real friends. Here's how we know they were really his friends. In Mark 2, 4, when the friends could not get the paralyzed man to Jesus, They made a hole in the roof above Jesus and let him down in front of everyone. Here's what I want you to see. These friends were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. If they had to cut a hole in the roof, if they had to push through a crowd, if they had to carry that man all the way down the street because he was paralyzed, they were going to do whatever it took because they loved him. Some of y'all, you don't love your children You don't. You say you do, you don't. Here's how I know you don't. You're not doing whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. Some of you, you don't love your friends. You say you do, but you don't. Here's how. You don't do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. When you love somebody, you want to do what's best for them, not what makes them feel good. In verse 5, when Jesus saw how much faith they had, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. Watch this. It doesn't say when Jesus saw how much faith the paralyzed man had. It says when he saw how much faith his friends had, he was healed. You say, that's not right. How could God judge somebody, determine whether he's going to heal them or not, based on their friends? Here's why. Because you get to choose your friendships. And I just taught you how important it is biblically and psychically. The importance of choosing the right friends. We make choices. We have a free will. You can choose your right Now, here's my question to you. When you're on your deathbed, I didn't say if, when you're on your deathbed, when you need a financial miracle, when you need a breakthrough in your relationship with your spouse, when your child is sick, when you've lost your job, when you need a touch from Jesus Christ, if I told you that miracle was dependent upon the friends you've chosen to be in a circle with would you get your miracle or would you remain paralyzed psalms 1:1 says blessed happy prosperous is the man who does not follow the ungodly, nor stands inactive in the path of sinners, nor sits and relaxes with those who have no use for God. Here's what this is saying. God has created you to live blessed and happy and prosperous, but you have to put yourself in a circle of people who will call forth that anointing, who will call forth that prosperity, who will call forth the blessings that God has on the inside of you. It goes on to say in verse 2 and 3, instead they find joy in obeying the Lord and meditating on his word day and night. They're like a tree planted by the water, always producing fruit. Those people succeed in everything they do. Here's what the scripture says. There's not a problem with the tree. The problem is where the tree has been or has not been planted. An oak tree is destined to, to be majestic and strong and live for hundreds of years with a huge root system, to be able to withstand tons of weight on its branches. If I were to take that oak tree and plant it in a little pot, the oak tree would never become what God created it to be. And the problem is not the oak tree. The problem is the pot in which I plant the oak tree in. Some of you here today, the reason your branches have not stretched out, the reason your root system has not gone down any deeper is because you haven't planted yourself in an environment for the Holy Spirit to do great things in your life. And I know you, you say you love your friends, and I know that they've been there for certain times in your life and on and on, but you've got to learn how to guard your heart and put space in between you and pots that you were never meant to be planted in. You gotta be willing to uproot yourself and plant yourself in an environment down by the water where you're around people that'll help you produce the right fruit in your life. You've been blaming this and blaming that. It's this fault and you're trying so hard and the one thing that could change your whole life is to choose better friends. You say, well, what do I do with these old friends? You tell them this, I'll hang out with you on Sunday morning It's solid rock. And if you pay attention and take notes, I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. (laughs) Okay, my last point. We're never gonna meet the right people if we're constantly hanging around the wrong people. In Luke chapter one, this woman named Elizabeth, she was Mary, the mother of Jesus's cousin. And her and her husband wanted a baby more than anything. That was their dream. That was their desire. They prayed and prayed and prayed. And then finally, the angel of the Lord came to visit Elizabeth. And in Luke 1:3, the angel said, God heard your prayers. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He'll be used to bring people to repentance. John the Baptist. She was so excited. Her and her husband were thrilled. But Elizabeth had never been pregnant before. Her belly was getting bigger. Six months had gone by, but she had not felt any movement on the inside. There wasn't a kick. There wasn't a push. The baby hadn't turned. Nothing. Fear starts to set in. Did I not hear God right? Is my child not alive? Did I do something wrong? I thought God wanted this miracle to come into pass in my life. I thought this blessing was meant for us. It's all we ever wanted. I I thought I heard the angel right. Did I hear the angel wrong? Why am I not feeling any movement on the inside? And then one day, there's an unexpected guest in Elizabeth's house. It's her cousin Mary. Mary knocks on the door. Elizabeth opens the door to invite her inside. Mary says, hey, Elizabeth, how you doing? Gives her a big hug and kiss. <coughs> the Bible says, in Luke 1:41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and moved within her. At that moment, Elizabeth knew the dream will come to pass. God will do what he said he's going to do. The point is this. God has ordained people to be in our life who will make our baby leap. But if we're too busy inviting the wrong people into our life, our baby's not going to leap. Maybe like Elizabeth, there's been a promise that God gave you in your heart years ago and you haven't felt any movement. You know it's supposed to happen. You know deep on the inside God wants to do it. And you say, God, why? I'm afraid that I do something wrong. Did I not hear you right? Here's the problem. You're inviting the wrong people into your life. Proverbs 12, 26 says, A righteous man is a guide to his friend, but the path of the wicked leads them astray. Your future is too valuable. Your destiny's too important and your life is too sacred to waste it on chickens when you could be soaring with the eagles. <laughs> Amen.